Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Breaking news that got your attention. Those two words get our attention. I know it gets my attention. And even there, I just said those two words. I saw heads just pop up. I know it's Sunday morning, maybe you're getting waking up, but it's the fact that those words, we know something happened and something's going on. Those words applied in the first century, I mean applied in the 21st century, they also applied in the first century. And we began last week by considering how Jesus is the breaking good news of God that breaks into our lives when we encounter him. And that was the focus of the first sermon as we began our journey through the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is one of four accounts of Jesus' life, his teachings, his ministry, and his mission. The Gospel of Mark has, brings together so much of what happened with Jesus and in so many ways it's an action-packed gospel. Last week I likened it to the Jersey Gospel, a gospel which is fast-paced, right? It's full of action. The word immediately, the word that's translated immediately is, occurs 40 plus times in the gospel. And you see account after account after account. It's full of action, it's urgent, and it's in your face. In many ways I believe it's the Jersey Gospel. And we'll continue to see that today as we continue in this series. Because it's believed and it's known that, that Mark, or John Mark, traveled with Peter. He heard Peter teach. Peter who had first-hand accounts of Jesus' teaching, his miracles, and his works. In many ways, Peter, who was the most outspoken and brash disciple of Jesus, it's reflected in this gospel. And it comes to us, really, in so many ways, unfiltered and in your face. And so we've been considering what that means in terms of the breaking good news of God and how that impacts our lives today. And the breaking good news started with a headline. Mark 1.1 said this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the headline of the breaking good news of Jesus recorded in the gospel of Mark. Right away we get a sense of who Jesus is, his identity as the Savior and the Messiah. That he is the Son of God and spoke of his divinity. And so as this breaking news came, Jesus, we saw, had almost likened to a press conference as he came into Galilee. In verses 14 and 15 in Mark chapter 1, we considered in the first sermon that he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus announced that the time has come. He said that the, the kingdom of God is at hand or has come. The time is now. And it called for a response, a response of repentance, a change of mind, a turning of a life, and belief. Nothing could remain neutral when the kingdom of God intersected with a person's life, is what Jesus was saying. But he says the time. What does he mean by the time? As you look at scripture, you see there's two different descriptions of time in the Bible. There's a description of a quantity of time, chronos time, and it's like the minutes, the hours, and the days. It's a neutral description of time as time goes on. There's another description of time called a kairos time or a God-opportune moment. It's the quality of time. And whenever that is used, you need to pay attention in Scripture. Here, that's what Jesus is talking about. The kairos time, the time has come. This is a God moment. This is a God opportunity. So we need to pay attention. In my mind, it's... I'm going to do some drawing today. This is your life on kairos, on kronos time. If I get the spelling right, sometimes I have spelling issues without autocorrect when I'm preaching live. So we have Kronos time. This is your life. Here I believe Jesus is saying at points, there's an in-breaking 
of God into our lives. I'll make it a K for a Kairos moment. When God's news breaks in our life and he intersects with our life, his sphere, his rule, his reign, his way breaks into our lives and, and it calls for a response and we'll get this into the weeks ahead. Right, to, to repent, that's an R, and believe. And if we respond to that moment, we respond to that moment, has the opportunity to reset the trajectory of our lives, to restore our stories, and to move us in a new direction. And so we're going to keep this picture in mind in the weeks ahead as we look at these different, what amounts to news stories of Jesus intersecting with our lives, intersecting with the lives of people where, where the good news of God came to them, intersected with them, and then something changed, something happened. There was healing, there was renewed hope, and there was restoration. And so we're going to look at that today as we consider a couple of accounts, a couple more news stories. If you recall, last week we ended with Jesus calling his first disciples, walking along the Sea of Galilee. As he walked along the Sea of Galilee, he called two sets of brothers, right, Simon and Andrew, and then James and John. He said, come, follow me, and I'll send you out to make, to, to make you fish for people, or I'll make you fishers of people. And so they responded. They had that moment. Their lives were changed. They started to follow Jesus. And so we pick up the action today. Once he called his disciples, what happened? Immediately, he went into a village called Capernaum, most likely where Simon Peter lived. And he went into a synagogue, and he had multiple encounters. And we're going to look at a day in the life of Jesus. And this is a Jersey day. There's no messing around. From, from start to finish, there is action. And so get ready, put on your seatbelts, because here we go. Again, new stories number one is that Jesus collides with evil. And it begins with some teaching, starting in chapter 1, verses Verses 21 and 22, we read this. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Here we see that they went into Capernaum, this village on the Sea of Galilee, and they went into a synagogue. And Jesus began to teach. Capernaum, which Bible commentator James Edwards describes in his fantastic commentary on the Gospel of Mark, describes it as it's a village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. You can see this on a map as the, the pin is listed. And here in, Gal- in Capernaum, it's from the Hebrew Kephar Nahum, meaning a village of Nahum. And so it has those roots. It was, it was, it was on one of the main, major roads that went from the Mediterranean Sea up to Damascus, the Via Marie. And so therefore, there was lots of travelers, lots of people who came through this village. It was the most distance from a lot of the different Greek cities, specifically Tiberias, where Herod Antipas had his headquarters. And so Jesus began his teaching here at Capernaum, far away from the religious and political institutions, those who would try to interfere with what he was doing. Jesus was super wise in this decision, because it was the same Herod Antipas who put John in jail. So Jesus was trying to stay as far away from him as possible. So he began in Capernaum. Where did he go? He went into a synagogue. A synagogue which is an assembly, a place where the Torah or the law of God was read and expounded. And typically a synagogue was made up of 10 or more Jewish males who were 13 years or older. And they were located all around the Mediterranean region. There was still one temple in Jerusalem. But God's people, the Jewish people, would gather in synagogues to hear the law of God read and expounded. There was a ruler of the synagogue. That was the main person at that synagogue. But typically, he wouldn't be the one who would expound God's law. It would be a lay person, someone who was a part of that synagogue or traveling and visiting. And in this case here in Mark chapter 1, it was Jesus. 
So Jesus begins to teach, and when he teaches, there's a reaction. The people are amazed. It's amazing news that comes out of Jesus. Amazed, the word amazed comes from the Greek word thambien, which means to strike. And it, and it means, in many ways, you hear they were amazed. It's like his teaching had struck a chord with them. It hit home. There's something different about it. And they said, this teaching's different. They, this teaching is with authority, not like the teachers of the law. Authority, that there was something different about Jesus. When he spoke, it wasn't, it wasn't like the teachers of the law who would typically just quote other traditions of the past. When Jesus spoke, it, it cut to the heart. It struck a chord. It impacted them. Even that word authority, the Greek word, it comes from ex-usia. Ex meaning out of. Usia meaning your being or your essence or who you are. So Jesus preached and spoke and taught out of who he was as the son of God. It was different. It wasn't like the teachers of the law who typically would be accurate. They would render interpretations and decisions about God's law, but really didn't keep the people's attention. Here, Jesus spoken. It amazed them. It woke them up. They said, something's different here. He's speaking as one with authority, not like the teachers of the law. It was quite a scene. It was quite a moment. What's so interesting for, as Mark records this moment, is he didn't give any of the content of Jesus' teaching. Here, Jesus is teaching, but we don't know what he taught about. Mark focused less on the teaching, and he focused more on the teacher. And that teacher was Jesus, the one who's the Messiah, the Son of God. So what was the impact of this teaching? Well, we see here that there's going to be an intersection. There's going to be a kairos moment when the perfect, good Son of God speaks and speaks out of his, out of his authority, out of his being. If he encounters something or anything that stands against God, that something or someone is going to react. So picking up the action, as we continue in verse 23, we read this. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, the picture of the scene. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching with authority. He's teaching out of his being. The perfect Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's good, the one who's perfect in light, speaks, and it's one who is being gripped by or possessed or overtaken by what Mark describes as an impure spirit. Can't, can't be contained. It's like something was triggered inside him, and he has to speak. And he speaks, and he says, and he says this. He says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So there's a man in the synagogue described as being possessed or gripped by or overrun by an impure spirit. We don't know, we don't know anything about this man. We don't know his name. We don't know his background. We don't know anything about this possession or being gripped by this impure, it's described as an impure spirit. Impure, which would speak of being polluted or contaminated. And in that time would mean evil or, or, it would, evil or dark, an evil spirit. We don't have any background on this man. The only thing we know is that he's in the synagogue. And when Jesus preaches and teaches with authority out of who he is, it's like something's triggered inside of him and he has to speak. It's like when good comes into contact with evil, evil cannot coexist with good. Something has to happen. And there's a conflict. There's a collision between good and evil. And he speaks. What does he speak? He says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? It was believed in that time that if you spoke the name of something or someone, that you would have authority or mastery over that something or someone. 
So here we see a reaction from evil against good. And it's a reaction trying to come back at Jesus, saying, if I say his name, his name, his personal name, Jesus of Nazareth, but also his identity, the Holy One of God, then he could take over and have mastery over Jesus. Well, what happens? What happens in that moment? It's kind of awkward. That happened here? Be kind of awkward. I mean, what happened? Did Jesus say, boy, that was just kind of awkward. Let's just brush him aside and let's get on to the third commandment. I mean, what did Jesus do? We pick up the action in verse 25. Jesus says this, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek, with a shriek. So Jesus responds. He doesn't go silent. He responds. And he says, be quiet. He says this sternly. There he nullifies what would have been believed to be any form of trying to have mastery over a person or a thing by saying their name. Jesus with authority says, be quiet. And he says, come out of him. And that's exactly what happens. The man is shaken violently and this impure spirit leaves with a shriek showing how much of a grip that this impure spirit had on this man. We see here a head-to-head conflict. And we see then how the people reacted. In verse 27, we continue with the action. The people react to this. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The people almost, they don't know what to do with this. They're like, what is this? Say those words with me. What is this? Say it loudly. What is this? I mean, that's what they were like. What is going on around here? We just came to synagogue. I mean, we're trying to get to the NFL playoffs this afternoon, even though that would have been a different day because the Sabbath wasn't Sunday. We're not going to get into that. But the fact that either way, they're like, this is just not your normal, easy, you know, sing a couple songs, hear the law of synagogue service. Something is going on here. What is this? What is going on? But then they come back to that same description. They were amazed. If there's a new teaching, it's with authority. Something is different here. And then the news goes viral. Right? Verse 28, the news spread quickly. Picture friend to friend, house to house, village to village. The news went out. And what we see in this circumstance is when Jesus takes action, when this moment occurs, when this intersection occurs, it's not just for his benefit. It's ultimately for the benefit of the person. Because this man was no longer gripped or possessed by this impure spirit. Whatever it was, however impact it had, all of a sudden, this man was freed. He no longer had that controlling him. No longer was under that grip. I had COVID a couple weeks ago. I had splitting headaches. I couldn't even think. I couldn't even, I was coughing like a madman, and I felt horrible. Once I got my wits about me, and I could think clearly and have energy again, I felt normal. I mean, I take that to the millionth level for this person. I can't imagine what he had gone through. But Jesus, the kingdom of God, broke into his life. And it led to restoration. He was restored, and the news went out. We'll come back to some specifics around that later. But we're going to continue with what happens with Jesus. He continues on. And now he could have been like, well, that's that's a pretty big deal. That's a big day at the office. I think I'm going to take the rest of the day off. He kind of was, but he didn't. We see that he continues on, and we see the next news story, that Jesus breaks through barriers. Picking up in verse 29, we see this. As soon as as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. 
Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Verse 29 begins with, as soon as. There's that word that's translated either immediately or one of the 40 to- over 40 times. The action continues. As soon as they left the synagogue, Jesus didn't take it easy. Maybe he thought they were going to go rest at, at Simon's house, but he got there, he found out that Simon's mother-in-law had a fever, which literally translated means she was on fire. Now Jesus, as a, as a reputable rabbi, what he did was not expected. The next steps, he broke all kinds of conventions. And Mark records, record, records three specific steps. First, he went to her. Second, he took her hand. Third, he helped her up. And each of those steps are significant. In fact, then when the fever left, she got up and began to, to wait on him and wait on the disciples. Now, to wait on, it's not, that's not some disparaging term or some weak servant term. That's the same word that was used to describe the angels who attended to Jesus in the wilderness. So yeah, Simon's mother-in-law was like an angel, like a strong messenger of God. That's what the picture is here, but it doesn't lose track of those three steps. Here, Jesus breaks through every barrier, breaks through all kinds of conventions. He breaks through physical barriers by going into the house, going into her room and, and holding her hand. Breaks physical barriers. Broke religious barriers. This is still the Sabbath. And he's not supposed to be healing on the Sabbath. The sun had not yet gone down. He heals her. He breaks through physical barriers. He breaks through religious barriers. And he breaks through relational barriers. Right, by helping her up and then letting her wait on him and the disciples. No respectable rabbi at that time would let a woman wait on them. Jesus doesn't care about that. He cares about Simon's mother-in-law. And he lets her do that. And he's served by, the, by her and, and shows that she is more like him because he's the one who comes to serve. He's the one who washes the feet. And so we see that he breaks through every barrier to bring his grace. That's who Jesus is. And what's so interesting is where this account is located in the day of Jesus. Right? Bible scholar Francis Maloney may, notes that in the middle of this day where he meets this man with an impure spirit and later we'll see all the different people that come after the sun goes down in the middle in the middle of the center, he heals Simon's mother-in-law, showing that she is the centerpiece of his day. And that was a, would have been a scandal at that time, that the healing of a f- woman as the center of the day, that in itself broke every convention. You'll see as we go through the Gospel of Mark, over and over, Jesus turned everything upside down, broke every convention, everything that would stand in the way of God, what was expected. Here, even in this day of Jesus, she is the center of the day as he goes to her, takes her hand, and helps her up, and she's healed. It's an incredible picture. The last news story is that Jesus heals many. He, we get that summary after what took place, and picking up the action in verse 32, finishing this area. That, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So the last part of the day, after the sun goes down, meaning the Sabbath day is over. Now it's kind of open game, and everyone who's heard this news, and this news has gone viral, they start showing up and showing up at the door. Did Jesus say, no, go away? 
No. He said, come. And they had an encounter with Jesus. And those who were sick were healed. Those who were demon-possessed and gripped by something beyond themselves were released and were free. And we see that take place at the end of this day. This is the day in the life of Jesus. This is no messing around. From start to finish, we see Jesus breaking conventions. We see Jesus breaking through barriers so God's grace and love can get to whoever he encounters. So what does that mean for us today? This is not just for the, tw- for the first century. Here in the 21st century, the promise of God is that the inbreaking good news of Jesus is available for us today as we let him break into our lives. And it may come in the form of a gentle healing. It may come in the form of a gentle conversation. Other times, it may come in the form of a collision where there's parts of us that resist God and parts of us, when we come into contact with the purity and the goodness of God, where we want to resist God, where we want to run away from God, where we want to say, no, God, I've got this. I don't need you. That that's, there's going to be a moment he's going to collide with our lives, not in a hurtful way, but in an inviting way, saying, my way is the better way. Come follow me. Let me heal you. Let me help you. Um, whatever that is, that inbreaking good news of Jesus is available for us today. And we need to be open to it. Um, That's our role, is to open up our hands and say, God, work in our lives. I don't want to resist you. I want to repent. I want to have a change of mind, a change of heart, a turning towards you, and believe and trust, and let you reset the trajectory and the story that I have to bring your healing and hope and restoration into my life. Now, I can't finish this sermon without addressing some of the elephant in the room. What is going on with this impure spirit? Now, trust me. All the way until around 3 a.m., I kept thinking, maybe we could skip this part of the sermon. <laughs> you know, just kind of tie it up with a nice bow and let you guys all go figure it out. You've got Google. See you later, right? So no, I would be irresponsible pastor if that was the case. In fact, God woke me up at 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5 a.m. stressed about this because I've been wrestling with this my whole life. What do you do with impure spirits and this notion of demon possession. Let me give you what, what God, I believe, has taught me. On the one extreme, over here, we'll see you could relegate all this talk of demon possession and impure spirits to the, you know, back in the first century and relegate it to saying, hey, that's, that's in the past. That doesn't make sense. Uh, we've progressed beyond that. Um, we have medicine. We have science. We have psychology. That, let's, just, let's not even talk about the spiritual realm. That's one extreme. The other extreme is... No, demon possession is real then, it's real now, and all of us are demon possessed and no one can leave here without an anointing, right? We're not going there. So those are the two extremes, far extremes in my mind. I don't think either one's helpful. I think if you stay over here and say, hey, that's relegated to the first century, there's no spiritual realm, there's no sense of, there's no sense of evil or, or spiritual realm, um, and we just, let's, let's just rely on what we can see, taste, and touch, and feel, and, and let's go the natural route and use science and, and psychology to solve everything, and there's no, there's no spiritual realm at all. I think we rob ourselves a part of the reality of what we face. That there is, evil's real, and evil impacts us in different ways. Whether it's, yes, either by choices we make, if we choose to go against what God has said is what's best and we sin and we allow evil into our lives, sometimes that evil, I believe, can grip us in the form of addictions, things we can't shake, things that we can't get rid of or things that have hurt us and we don't know how to recover from. And there's no medicine, there's no theory, there's no steps that can break that. We need supernatural help. 
On the far side over here, if we say, look, we don't need medicine, we don't need science, we don't need psychology, we just need more prayer, we need more anointing with oils, I think we're leaving ourselves out of all the things that we've learned that God's allowed us through, through our brains he's given us as we worship him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength to use the, the things of science and psychology to help us, to recognize then that there are physical challenges and depression is real and what can we leverage on this side? So I think it involves both. It's not either or. And I think we've learned as human beings, especially in the last, I'd say, 10, 20 years, that we are holistic beings. It's not just the physical, but it's also the spiritual. But it's not just the spiritual, it's also the physical. And as followers of Christ, we should bring all that to bear. And really, it's a case-by-case basis. I mean, I've run into some who maybe feel that, hey, I'm, I'm struggling mentally. I've got depression. And it's and it's like, and, but they don't, really, don't want to call upon God for help. They just want medicine to make it better. My, my counsel to them is both. Call upon God, leverage what's there in terms of medicine as needed. Over others saying, hey, I don't, I don't need medicine. I don't need anything. I'm just going to pray, pray, pray. Say, no, there's things that are available to you. It's not either or, but it's a case-by-case basis. And I know in my conversation, I don't know what it is, whether it's a full demon possession I know this is that run into many people that there's something beyond themselves that they feel gripped by something dark and that darkness won't go away and it can't be explained naturally. Am I saying that they're demon possessed? I don't really know. I just know this, that God's light can shine into that darkness and can bring help and it's a case by case basis. And so my counsel and encouragement to you is you hear this for all of us, no matter what, God wants to enter into that, whatever that is for you. And whether it's fully physical, fully spiritual, somewhere in between or some mix, to, we need to bring all that to bear for God to work and to seek his help in all the different capacities. I believe that there is a form of darkness that's trying to pull us away from God. I know there's a darkness that's trying to pull me away from God, and I need those prayers. Um, my counsel is to pray for that as well. I'd love to talk to you more about that and your experiences, struggles that you have, either on either extreme and what that looks for, like for us as a church. But that's as best as I can explain it. And I believe that this person who came to Jesus, came to that synagogue that day, maybe didn't know that the Son of God was going to teach and that the pureness and the goodness and the light of the Son of God was going to somehow collide with his life and trigger something within him that would then lead to what happened. I believe that happens when people come into contact with Jesus. And sometimes it's scary and we want to resist that, but if we embrace it, embrace God's work, he can set us free. may not be instantaneous, but over time. Sometimes it's instantaneous, but most of the time it's over time to set us free. So what do I want you to remember from this sermon? The one thing is encounters with Jesus transform lives as he breaks through barriers to bring God's grace, restorative help, hope, and grace. Let me say that again. Encounters with Jesus transform lives as he breaks through barriers to bring God's restorative help, healing, and grace. And what's one thing to do for all of us, wherever we are? Ask Jesus for an encounter with him through prayer so he can break through barriers to wherever you need that restorative help, hope, and grace. So I want to pray for us around that it ends right now. Um, wherever you are today, and um, may God's help come to each and every single one of us, no matter, no matter what we're facing today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we've considered uh, these hard truths, first and foremost, God, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for his grace. Thank you for what we see in these accounts. That the good news of God broke through and broke in, in and through him. And God, that was in the first century. We need those break-ins now in the 21st century. So God, I pray for each person who's heard this message, wherever they're facing today. I ask God that you would break in with your love and your grace and your light. And that there would be this Kairos moment, this intersection, even potentially a collision. And God, that you would bring freedom and help and hope. And whatever it is, God, whatever is gripping us, God, that we would receive help from you. May that be the case, Lord, as we've heard this. And Lord, I pray that as for each person that they would reach out to you in prayer about this. And also, Lord, to then take the courage, the courageous step to talk to someone else about it as well, not to keep it to themselves. And Lord, for all of us, that we may know that we're not alone in the struggles, whatever we're facing. And Jesus, you see us, you know us, you know our struggles, and you want to help us. Help us to open our hands. Help us to reach out to you as like you reached out to Simon's mother-in-law and you took her hand, helped her up and healed her. Help us to take hold of your hand today and in the days ahead. We ask this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who gives us the amazing grace that can heal and help us. We pray this in his name. Amen. <laughs>